Hello and welcome to this, the final episode of the 1991 season of Movie of the Year. The only podcast with the science and the screaming to pick the best movie of 1991. I am your host, Greg. Joining me, as always, are my buddies, Ryan and Mike. Are you ready to do it? Are you ready to pick 1991's Movie of the Year? Is Last Boy Scout still eligible? No, let me tell you what is still eligible, Mike. Uh, still eligible. I'll take my headphones off. Silence of the Lambs, Thelma and Louise, Terminator 2, nope, Barton Fink, or A Brighter Summer Day. Terminator 2, colon, Barton Fink. I think <laughs> Terminator 2. Man, they made him out of metal, and he's still got to make that wrestling picture. <laughs> when you heard of these I movies- will this, I will write this picture. Mike, Silence of the Lambs, Thelma and Louise, Barton Fink- brighter summer day when the 91 season started was this your pick for the final four this is exactly i'm making a bunch of money in vegas right now oh wow doing what this was oh uh i'm cocktailing on the side oh that's so nice yeah and that just good tippers these days i always thought you had the figure for that thank you but how about uh specifically these movies are are you prepared to talk about these four movies my smart money now even if i've especially if i've never heard of it and it's not from us i'm like it's gonna at least be in the final four that is oh, I've done, okay. so brighter summer day for sure i would always just put money on that category i can't wait until we find some movie that's an absolute rake that we step on i know springs up and hits us in the like, face the dueling accountant from fucking Yugo- yugoslavia which is garbage it was five hours long why didn't we watch <laughs> this <laughs> I would say I would if uh, we took this poll in before the season in 1991 when we started the season, uh, I would have gone one for four. I think Lambs was a slammy. Yeah, a lammy slam dunk. Lambs. <laughs> and uh, the other three, good job, guys. I would have yeah. known for a fact that T2 was anyway. I think that was a stipulation yes. of my doing the year yeah. was yes. that T2 that was going to in your contract. I was like, well, yeah. we already know what the winner's going to be, and so that'll be good. Hey, I Mike, think I would have said good. Lambs, Terminator, Boys in the Hood. Uh, Last boat JFK, show. which is not even in the real. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mike, uh, good job on you and I signing lifetime contracts to the show where Greg gets to renegotiate every, every year. And I have yeah. a different set of conditions. You're the worst fucking lawyers. I will be given a large taffy upon arriving yeah, at the studio think, every day. Part of the taffy, the I'm, podcaster's treat. <laughs> yeah, everybody loves that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Ryan's lawyer and he's mine. And Greg is his own lawyer. And they say, uh, Anybody who defends himself has a imbecile for a witness, but I think anybody who has Ryan or Mike for a lawyer has an even bigger <laughs> imbecile. An imbecile for a witness. An imbecile for a witness. I would like to call an imbecile. <laughs> May I wear my dunce cap? But uh, I think that we've got two of the iconic movies that everybody would think of it with 91, and then we've got two sort of like film enthusiast specials. And I'm very interested to see which which side we go to on this one. But before we do that, I want to talk, Ryan, about the greatest musical moments of these movies. Movies are not just moving pictures. Not anymore. They're also sounds. <laughs> and a lot of those sounds are music. Ryan? A lot of people don't. <laughs> Speak on that. <laughs> a lot of people don't realize that Greg was born in 1875. <laughs> They're still like, these newfangled talkies. <laughs> So what was Nickelodeon for me and Mike was much different for Greg. He was pumping nickels into a... A literal Nickelodeon. Yeah. Uh, musical moments. We had 
one musical in this season. So uh, we'll see how that does. I do have to let you know, Mike, that uh, Mamushka, the no. uh, Christopher Lloyd, Raul Julia sword dance was not nominated. I thought that was wow. going to take this fucking shit down. I thought, I that- thought that there's no way Adam's family was going to win or go far at all, but I thought it could clean up a lot of the awards, and I was certain Mamushka could do a musical one. Let's get to the nominees. Greg, uh, Gaston lost in Best Sex. He did, despite the fact that his chest is so hairy. Not unlike my own. There, I said it. Can he win Best Song where they're just singing about what a fucking dope dick that guy has? Obviously, (laughs) Gaston is a piece of shit. Nobody's saying that he's not. But that Guess song like Gaslight. Yeah. is a banger, man. And it gets in your head, and it will not go away, and you don't want it to. Nobody lays pipe like Gaston. I believe it. <laughs> Nobody chokes throat like Gaston. <laughs> you have to admit that uh, Gaston sucks, right? Obviously. Sure. Um, some people are attracted to his big hairy chest. But of all the characters that appear in the park, he is one of the most entertaining. Mm-hmm. If you ever get a chance, if you ever see Gaston at the park. Oh, yeah. Because he's, it's it's a crazy role reversal. Because he is constantly getting girls sexually harassing him. <laughs> he has to come up with like clever ways to get rid clever of clever innocent sassbacks. They always find legitimately ripped, and not just like show ripped, but like legitimately right. strong guys to be the character. And so he can literally do push-ups with people like standing on his back. It's a good look. Now, Mike, it says here mm-hmm. that you've applied for the character role of Gaston. How are your uh, clever sassbacks? Uh, better than my push-ups with somebody standing on my back, Ryan. <laughs> my elbows have ripped through my skin when that <laughs> happened before. Does this make me your LeFou? You are my LeFou. Uh, let's get away from uh, Beauty and the Beast for just a second for like in this musical moment. <laughs> and, Mike, we're going to talk about your fucking baby boy throughout both of these finale episodes. <laughs> yes. It, it's Cat singing Angel Baby from A Brighter Summer Day. His sweet little voice and his just like how pure in that moment he forgets the rest of the room and the lead singer of the band Sly. just pulls back and is so into Cat. Like Sly's a dickhead, but he he's he, oh, everybody's just so into Cat. He's singing his little heart out. I, you know what? I don't think it really happened, but I would believe that Elvis would write him back. <laughs> it's literally shown to not happen in the movie. Well, if you don't I... write Cat back, he will cut you with a fucking knife that he has. Yeah. <laughs> Kitten's got claws. Yeah, Sly is like a phony gangster and not like an exceptional singer. Cat is the real deal in both cases. Greg, the next one, we're going to uh, stay away from Beauty and the Beast for one more second and talk about uh, musical moments. They're not just uh, set pieces. They're not just the song or the singer. It's just how important the, the, the song was. And this one is uh, the song Work It Out by Moni Love from uh, Ice Cube's Return Barbecue and Boys oh, in the Hood. yeah. Very vibe setting. You know, this is like the whole movie pivots here, right? We go back into uh, the world and we have all of our adult characters now. And it really does. It's, it signals that change very effectively. And the movie becomes about like the sort of the interrelation of the sexes a lot more from that point forward. With all the iconic shots in the movie, I think the most iconic, I think it's from the trailer, is... Uh, putting the camera behind this baby boy's head and have him run through the house into the yes. backyard, and then we see the backyard as this song comes up. The other thing I love about this part is this is what movies were just uh, able to do uh, back in the day: is they would turn the music up, and then two people were talking, so they turned it down, and then turned it back up, and then yeah. turned it down for like seven minutes. You could <laughs> just, just a real, that. real finicky dad is yeah. just trying to mess with the volume while it's going. Oh, it's com- on. Mute these commercials; <laughs> they're so loud. Now, uh, are you guys surprised that, because I assume it's just going to be Beauty and the Beast from here on out, uh, that neither Vanilla Ice nor MC Hammer are going to end up in these? They both had killer 
MC entries. Hammer is not in the Adams family. That's like, that's no. why he's in Cousin It's car. Yeah, that's while the costs. door is open. It's like and then the he's movie, over the credits. The movie that doesn't count. That's it, not a musical moment. To me, because we're not the Oscars. To me, it felt like the movie didn't feel like it could contain MC Hammer. Right, and so like they apologized for it by just put, having it be like the ambient in car music, uh-huh. and then th- I think the Vanilla Ice thing got deeply tainted by the fact that the end of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Two: Secret of the Ooze is a movie crime, and Super- everyone associated with it belongs in the movie pier? jail. Super Shredder pushes over a dock and then dies, which is neither Super nor does it shred, and that really has set Greg off in a way that <laughs> I've never seen him before. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry, it's all coming out. When I was a kid, it made me so upset, and I never knew that I would have a platform to talk about how <laughs> upset I was. But I, I believe that it, the whole end is tainted by that. But also the vanilla ice parts, the sort of um, over enthusiastic white people in the crowd, and the like, obviously confused black people in the crowd. <laughs> Just kept it from really landing tonight. with me. If Beauty and the Beast was not did not come out this year, then Vanilla Ice would be nominated. By the way, Greg, I want you to go up. Anytime anybody says, why do you have a podcast? Uh, and you say, I wanted to talk about the travesty of the third act of Ninja Turtles 2. <laughs> that will be the most believable thing that they have yeah, ever heard in their entire life. Good. Biggest okay, cool. podcast sentence ever said. All right, good. <laughs> All right, Mike, let's get to it. It's Belle. Belle going through her town. The best... Uh, intro to any Disney movie song, the best I want I songs. Want song. They're doing it. They're blending it both at once. I need uh, six eggs. <laughs> that's too expensive. <laughs> uh, and and just and really, as an adult watching, be like, oh, Belle's also an asshole. Like, I, I, I think that flew over my head as a little kid. But it's all in everything you need to know about this stupid little shithole town. Uh, yeah. You you learn about the song. Basically song. called the stupid. Fucks. Yeah, and they, <laughs> and they all pop their head out. And they're like, "I'm a stupid fuck. How yeah. are you?" Bill? Yeah. Oh, I'm what is that? Imbecile. A book? Don't she's hot, but she's weird. <laughs> but the other thing too, this is what's important is, but up, but up, but bump, 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 like that catchy yeah. part oh, yeah. of Such every Disney song. Greg, the final nominee is sung by Lumiere. It's Be My Guest oh, from man. the film Beauty and the Beast. This is one of those things where you're like, oh, I've seen it so many times. I've heard it so many times. There's no way that when I see it in situ in the movie that it's going to have any effect on me. You sound like a goddamn idiot when you say <laughs> that. Because this starts happening, and you just get more and more excited. And the crescendo of both the song and like the special effects and the animation, yes. it's I'm getting chills thinking about it. Uh, legit. like this is, the, th- this is the part of the podcast where we talk about this, and we're like, did we make a mistake? Picking Brighter Summer Day, a cinematic classic over Beauty and the Beast. When we talk about Be My Guest, that's how fucking good it is. Yeah. A real high point for the movie. Well, let's see what it is. Uh, Your nominees are Belle from Beauty and the Beast, Be My Guest from Beauty and the Beast, Gaston from Beauty and the Beast, (laughs) uh, Moni Loves Work It Out from Boys in the Hood, and Cat Sings Angel Baby from Brighter Summer Day. For the record, there are like four more songs in Beauty and the Beast, so we didn't just pick all of them. We didn't even pick the famous one that I think was nominated for the Oscars. It's not as good. This is so nerve-wracking. Here we go. What's it going to be? Be my guest. And Aud- it's be our guest, though. I don't want to be that guy, but we are be on a podcast. Be our so. guest. I don't want to be yeah. our guy. But uh, I was <laughs> I was thinking about be my guest, and I got pissed off. Be our guest, excuse me. I got pissed off about friend like me. Like, what a fucking yeah. try-hard <laughs> try rip-off <laughs> of... 
the heights of that uh, right, previous right. movie. It, it's almost wonderonethesaurus.com. They're like, all right, all right. Well, what's, what's like a guess, but it's different. It's a friend. Okay. It's BR, mm, like me. Okay, okay. Right, we could do this. <laughs> You're getting it. You're getting and it. I don't want to be that guy, but it's friend like R. So. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, it is moves like Jaeger. Was that the most slam dunk award of the entire night? Yeah, but it gave yeah. us a chance to talk about all those cool, other cool music parts. But yeah, like in a musical, it is the musical piece. The one that I think might have gotten it is the the entry song. You know, the bell, the be- yeah. bell song. Yeah, but, but I love when a bunch of characters know they're in a musical and they're like, "Well, sit down, because you're about to experience some shit." <laughs> <laughs> well, listeners, sit down. Because you're about to experience some shit. When we get back, it's our first battle of this round. All right, time to start making some of the real cruel cuts. So our number one seed, Silence of the Lambs, goes up against number four seed, Thelma and Louise. Silence of the Lambs took down Adam's family in the last round. Thelma and Louise took down Boys in the Hood. Now they're going against each other. To me, this is like the two biggest movies of 91 that mm-hmm. people could never stop talking about e- even over the other some of the other big ones and you know what like uh terminator 2 made more money but terminator 2 like folds into the ether that's just that's a part of all movie dumb it's not yeah. a part of 1991 these two are so 91 to me you know that this is what makes it hard and also there's some similarities if we could do like well, hashtag girl boss hashtag girl boss in it and but not it would only get more obvious and lamer as time went on. Yeah. The two thousands suck for so many reasons, you guys. But it's just uh, yeah. But but yeah, just uh, uh, Clarice Starling and Thelma and Louise Starlings. The <laughs> just how how real sisters. and fully f- like fully fleshed out they're all allowed to be. They're not Mary's Sue. They 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 are interesting nuanced characters to watch move through their world. Is it weird at all that at the end of Science of the Lambs, uh, Hannibal Lecter is free? At the end of Thelma and Louise, they are both dead. I guess they're not technically dead, but they're like close to it. It's not weird in that they're free. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's how society works. Yeah, but yeah, it, it's just like uh, such a bad criminal allowed to live, and then but when it's two ladies just like expressing themselves through some crimes, admittedly. It's, I wish that I could say that two female directors were able to make these two stories. And I cannot say that. I can only say that two incredible male directors made these two movies. But I do think that these two male directors, and we don't have any female directors left in the bracket, uh, were, I think, revolutionary. I think, like, way ahead of their time. Insane. And I know this sounds stupid. These women also have stories to tell where it's not just about, like, what it's like to be a woman as opposed to a man, but what it's like to be a woman, period. I feel like... um when Ridley Scott made this movie back in 91, people were like, okay. But now knowing the rest of his catalog and looking back, it's like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's like a total Ridley Scott movie. Because, I mean, if you look at before this movie, we have Scorny Weaver from Alien and then Jodie Comer from The Last Duel. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it's all of a piece. Yeah. For me, when we are comparing the best movies of the time, and like these are two, either one of these could be movie of the year and nobody would give us any guff about it. But then I start getting into the like, maybe the nitpicking, the minutia of it, and I have to say personally, or let me ask you: Does Silence of the Lambs deliver more consistently? Does Thelma Louise get a little rickety at parts? Get a little wonky, like with the the oil tanker part? I think Silence of the La- or uh, I'm sorry, Thelma and Louise comes from a time where like you sort of set up your premise and then you have like 19 skits 
mm-hmm. and then you end it. Like that's just how movies were. And th- it's totally fine. Like I, I I was hanging out with friends the other day and we were talking about Mr. Mom. And that <laughs> movie is really just like, I'm gonna stay at home then. That's the premise. And then <laughs> that's 19 the skits. <laughs> and then the movie's over. Rather than one narrative carrying yeah. throughout. And this is like but, a road trip movie. It's a it's a picaresque yeah. story, right? So it's gonna have those those chapters. But that's but, why you make a road trip movie. But sa- so you can have all those different wacky characters. Sons of the Lambs is about how uh, over like who killed who. It is about Clarice Starling like getting into her own. Yeah, Silence of the Lambs, if you wanted to pin it down to one scene, is about her being in that scene with all the other dude cops. Right. And them towering over her and her being like, fuck this, I'm still going to do what I'm going to do. And the, the other one I think of is when she's trying to like uh, Indiana Jones under the garage door, but she gets like uh-huh. caught and yes. like, I have to figure that this out for my own. And like, I'm not in a movie. I'm not an adventurer. I'm not Indiana Jones. I'm a fucking real ass person who has to handle this. I'm goddamn Jodie Foster. And I have She's to figure a real this girl, out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I did, but I like, it's not just that Thelma and Louise is a road trip movie. And it's not just that it's a bunch of, of like skits. It feels like sometimes it's the fact that when it enters into this kind of magical realism state, which I think the movie does it enters sort of with like the dreamy Western dream of America there are parts in it that just don't work. And there's that whole scene with the the truck driver. There's that whole weird interlude that's a lot shorter, but it's still equally weird where the the Rastafarian bike yeah. rider comes that, by. That bugs me so much more than the oil tanker blowing up. Like, literally, is, what is that doing? What is Why is it in the movie? Because it like feels the, like somebody went, we have literally no people of color in our movie. Gina and Susan needed the day off. So they're like, hey, we uh, the, the actors came up with a little fun thing. But, like, would you say that these are two movies based on... Uh, chemistry, right? Like yeah. uh, co-actor chemistry, sure. and when they're not on screen, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, I don't know. I love Shooter McGavin, Chris McDonald. What's his fucking name? Chris Chris O'Donnell. He Chris O'Donnell in Batman and Robin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, his, I don't know. I I find him watchable and shit. Even though he's shitty, I think Harvey Keitel crushes it. I, I'm not crushes am, it. I'm yeah. I think yeah. I fucking. I love this guy, I think. Between Hacks and then this, I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I've always loved this guy. I think I, I just want to keep doing everything. I don't like his character in this, but I think that's because no. I identify with it too much, right? Because he's the, the, boy, the boy who is part of boy world but wants to be part of girl world, but not enough. Oh, you mean Harvey Keitel. Yes. yes. And just wants to tell women, like, no, I'm here for you. Right. But then, like, not really do it. <laughs> like, you know, right. but just yeah. be like, actually, I am over here I with these guys, it. but I am <laughs> supporting you silently to myself. Uh, and so that that makes me not like him. Well, what can I say? At some point, you got to ask the question, don't you, Ryan? I would say that uh, no movie honestly moved up more to my estimation than Thumb and Louise. Yeah, like, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that it was like, that, that's a good movie. That's a good movie. And when watching it, I thought it was great. But Sounds of the Lambs like- is a... It hasn't been transmitted through the culture as much. Like, there's so many movies that, when, like, from this year, like Terminator 2, when you watch them, you're rewatching all the references. Thelma mm. and Louise, there's only, like, one or two things that the are end. actually in. Yeah. And so it was a lot of it was more surprising. And I wonder if at the time there were people in that, you know, that diner in, like, a suburb of Des Moines where they always go to ask Republicans, like, what do you think about things? Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Were they, like, this Thelma and Louise, this is Butch and Sundance. It used to be fucking men, and now it's women. Like, were they upset about this? I, I bet they were. 
And I think that's cool that you upset those people in that diner. But I think Silence of the Lambs is by far the superior movie. I think this is a, a Thelma Louise is a revisionist western before anybody knew that fancy name to call it that. Yeah. I'm so surprised that not that more people don't talk about this movie as like one of the early refigurings of the western because they don't try to hide it in any way. They're like, no, get ready yeah. for a Western. They, Here comes a Western. You're watching and, a Western. And so much of what we talked about in our episode is how Susan Sarandon shoots the guy with no threat of violence. Yeah. That move makes it like that's how we develop those characters. That's how we it, it's a revisionist Western. Well, but I have to go with silence. You sound signs of lambs, Ryan. Mike, what do you say? I could do a whole big buildup as well, but let's just say ditto to what Ryan said. Don't, be a, don't be a dumb fuck. Just be supportive of me. I'm supporting you. We do support you, and we support Silence of the Lambs, which is moving on to the... That's the finals. It's get, That is one of the spots in the finals secured. Thelma and Louise, thank you. You did change our lives. You did give us something to talk about. But it's Silence of the Lambs moving on. When we come back, we're going to talk about best on-screen duo. <laughs> well, that is very, very funny. Or very sad, and perhaps now you have something to think about. Or very problematic, and perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at Your Pop Filter. Email contacts at Your Pop Filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies. All right, Ryan, we are throwing to you... For the nominees for Best On-Screen Duo, this is my favorite category. Michael. Yes. Do you know who is not nominated? <gasps> no, come on, they have to be. Do you re- did you really think that they were going to get nominated? Go ahead, talk about them. They're my favorite on-screen duo from childhood on. Toka and Rezar. <laughs> to be so cute, yet so terrifying at the same time for kid, a kid's movie. And was I mad that they weren't Bebop and Rocksteady the first time I saw the movie? You know I was. Because those were my bad guy mutants. How but is how is the story behind that? You can use basically all of the regular characters, everything we've ever created. But you but are not, not these allowed two. to use this fucking Bebop and Rocksteady, Rhino, and this mutant boar. Those are ours. That's absurd. We want a different kind of turtle that won't confuse the kids at all, and a wolf. We talked about this on the show, Mike. They literally never address the fact that that's another turtle. <laughs> they never. They just don't mention it. So they don't want you to to really think about how it's another turtle. They're like, I no. was seven, and I was like, but, but should they try to get him on their side? There should they are, at least be like, hey, you know, I'm a turtle. I see the turtle in me. I see the turtle in you. There are also there's so many other animals in the world. Like yeah, octopus. I, they literally were like giraffe. We're not allowed to use these characters. We don't want to make new costumes. And so somebody was like, well, we do have like a spare turtle costume. So that could be one of them, right? We'll just be My like, cousin was a wolfman once. He still has that costume. <laughs> Everyone has a cousin. My cousin has a wolfman costume for a reason. And he can bring it as long as we let him take it to the dry cleaners. First. Is it going to look wetter than you think a wolfman should? Sure. <laughs> Toka and Rezar are not nominated. Wow. Greg, your first nominee is already winner, Charlie. And maybe future winner, Barton. It's Barton and Charlie. Yeah. Uh, I feel like you get to the end of this movie and you appreciate their relationship even more. All throughout the movie, you're like, ah, this is kind of bothering me. They're like, I'm tired of this guy. And then when you start seeing who Charlie really is, then it their whole relationship like has a takes on a different shine, takes on a different mm-hmm. meaning. And their scenes really are very good and very compelling. 
Yeah, and that their scenes feel like a play in a good way. You don't need anything else. It's just these two dudes sitting on a bed yeah. talking to each other also, or not letting each other talk, I which mean, feels relatable. Okay, I interrupted you so many times during that sentence. <laughs> yeah, which yeah, is, uh, <laughs> uh, but like, haven't you always been a Barton or a Charlie of like, oh man, I want to hang out. Why won't this person hang out with me? Or please get the fuck out of my That's room. That's adult friendship, dude. my friend. <laughs> but Mike really pointed out it's because all Barton wants to do is talk to people. But what that means to him is talk at them yeah. and they just Lecture. listen. Yeah. Here is my intellect. Meanwhile, the exact thing he is looking for, which is a salt of the earth, but very complicated and very broken person, is right there. And he literally keeps saying, oh, I could tell you some stories. But in, the fr- <laughs> in act one of that movie, did you guys know that he was evil or like oh no oh man it's just no like, it's like a, a little bit he's a good guy that sucks yeah he's just a yeah. sucky guy he's a nice guy i want him out of here it's part of what sucks about barton's full experience is that he's got this guy who there's nothing bad about him necessarily but he's annoying and it turns out well no there actually is something pretty bad right about it. i find in every conversation i'm having with people i'm always doing a comically like well i'm about to leave oh you're gonna say another sentence that's <laughs> cool that's uh these two shame my garage door is already coming down mike this one's a little more relatable to us. It's Bodie and Johnny from Point Break. Yeah, sometimes you're a cult leader. Sometimes you're the cult leader's number two guy. And the 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 passion and electricity that fires between Keanu and Patrick here, it's it's bananas. Do you remember them after the fight where they beat up those surfers and they're yeah. just like, oh, we're we're the best of friends. Yeah, Thanks dude. Forever. We got that got that post fight high, which it's wrong to fight, but after a fight, sometimes you just feel good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I bet. I know that after I've gotten the shit kicked out of me by two guys, I I'm like, I hope they feel good. Yeah. Ryan's one of the evil surfers in that scenario. I hope they enjoyed themselves. <laughs> Greg, this is a different friendship. It's Clarice and Hannibal. Yeah, well, okay, like, it's not best friendship, though, right? It's best on-screen duo, mm-hmm. and that could mean a lot of things. And, and you have to admit, Hannibal never threw jizz at her face. He, he did not. Fact, you have to admit. He apologized for that, and he talked the guy who did it into killing himself. So that's really... Uh, so that's, he's got a little bit of white knight. little syndrome. white knight, yeah. <laughs> Creamy, but, bleachy white knight. Uh, you know, what is interesting about a duo is that they bring out different sides of people and they really those two like kind of reveal facets of Mm -hmm. the characters to themselves like the next nominee it's from the movie thelma and louise oh who could it be their names are thelma and louise now car and razor we are (laughs) (laughs) making a brief appearance do you want to do the 91 Avengers thing again? <laughs> Just those two in the convertible. <laughs> in a car. <laughs> but they're not driving off a cliff because it's like a spiritual freeing moment. They're just so fucking dumb. And they're just so dumb because they're babies. <laughs> just dumb they're babies just who can babies. drive now. Shredder hates them because they're babies. I love them Mama. because they're babies. Uh, Thumb and Louise, they are dealing with their own shit the entire movie. But what about when they're in the car together? Yeah, the, the, the they are both strong at different things. They think... Their relationship is one way, and they learn this short time together. It's actually a different way. And uh, Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis are pretty big actresses. And then watching this movie, it's infuriating that they're not even bigger actresses. They yeah, but are you mean big in terms stars. of stars, popular because they're so yes. reserved for so right. much of this, and that's really what what makes it work. Like uh, I thought they were going to go out and have fun the entire movie. <laughs> and part of what's interesting about the movie is it takes them a while to even figure out what their relationship is once they hit the road. They've got a relationship yeah. that works when they're back home, and they have a new relationship right. when they hit the road. And 
they do a good job working you through that so that you kind of earn their mm-hmm. duoness, you know, like For sure. when they really become themselves in the third act, you're just so excited, and that really, like, I the movie you, earns that. I mean, we we get watch to see, them grow. Yeah, we get to see Susan Sarandon say to Gina Davis, "Do not mention fucking Texas again." Yeah. But we also get to watch Susan Sarandon say, "Oh, you just did that shit. That wasn't cool." But we are ride or die, and here we go. We get maybe to, both. Yeah, all of it. <laughs> ride and die. <laughs> Greg, the final nominee. Has already won an award, but let's do it. It's uh, Morticia and Gomez from the Adams mm, Family. The scintillating heat in every conversation. They both may be pale and cold as corpses, but when they speak to each other, the heat radiates off the screen in a way that, if anything, borders on inappropriate sometimes when I'm, they're like in the same room as their kids. I would say the heat is on, which makes me say the cold is off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. So definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Normal phrase. <laughs> All right. Should I? Do you want to read the nominees again? Sure. Your on-screen duos are not Toka and Razor. They are Barton and Charlie from Barton Fink, Bodie and Johnny from Point Break, Clarice and Hannibal from The Silence of the Lambs, Morticia and Gomez from The Addams Family, and Thelma and Louise from Thelma and Louise. <laughs> Clean. <laughs> very, very tiny. Very tiny tear. And your winner is Morticia and Gomez taking their second award for Adam's family. Wow. We have a thing here. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is uh, showing a lot of who we are as people. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. That's really what you want out of your podcast is to expose who you really are. When we come back, we're going to get to our next battle. Competing to go... For that last spot in the finals, it's Barton Fink, our number 10 seed, versus a brighter summer day, our number 11 seed. We're going we're gonna to have a big Ooh. upset no matter what when we get to the finals, potentially. I don't think 10 or 11 seeds often make it in there. Like I think we are usually pretty chalk when it comes down to it. Now, these are our two filmiest films and maybe they're not as big. Maybe they didn't make quite the impression that um, some of these bigger movies did. But is that really going to stand in their way, do you think, Mike? No. No, I do not. Because sometimes uh, I forget what movie was described as undeniable last episode. And these are these are undeniable in a different way. Because I think I was talking about like undeniably film, like movie as movies. And these are undeniable film ass film ryan do you think they're kind of splitting the vote like it almost feels i'm wondering if it's almost a little rough for barton fink to to have to go up against a brighter summer day because if we're talking about movie ass movies is it maybe a little outclassed yeah i think that uh if we had barton fink and brighter summer day versus silence and thelma right like those are the two hollywoods versus the two yeah like i'm so cool and i watch movies sort of movies (laughs) uh these two together i don't know and I, like I just keep going back to the fact that like Barton Fink changed stuff. Brighter Summer Day has never been seen. I don't know what to do with that. Also, like now that we're getting to the end, these are two of the more probably the two most upsetting movies we have from the ninety one mm-hmm. year. Not just because they're well, lower seeds, but <laughs> right? They're both interrogating violence, which makes you have to deal with violence. And yeah. Also, flip the table on what they're against. Yeah, and and uh, you know. A Brighter Summer Day is so long, but the very end of it 
is as upsetting as anything that's happened in any of the movies that we've seen. And it has this weird way of working back on the action because you're like, wow, I, f- I was just watching something that felt like a romance. A romance-ish, right, for, for four hours. And then at the end of it, it feels like that totally defines what happens, right? You have the the, the four uh, kills. What's her name? Uh, Lisa Yang? Yeah. I can't remember. Oh, Lisa Yang, uh, the, the actress' name. And in a, in a way, that, like, it reflects uh, so negatively on everything that came before it, I wonder, in a way. And Barton Fink kind of right. does the same thing, right? Yeah. Like, oh, it, it shit. Looks, and they both do, like, oh, this could be a protagonist. And they're like, well, I kind of don't like them at all now by yeah. the end of the movie. But, like, are you saying that, like, we sort of set our stuff subtly. Now we need a third act real quick and then just, like, whip up a third act? I guess I'm just looking for what separates them, right? And so... Um, like how I feel kind of at the end of the movie is is part of it, right? And the way I felt mm-hmm. at the end of Barton Fink, it's kind of a sensational ending, and so it's a little bit less dark, right? Like it is awful. The the hotel is burning. Uh, it feels like the hell that Barton Fink has been in, kind of um, uh, spiritually, he is now almost in literally. Plus, let's right. uh, let's not forget that like it actually ends on a beach, so you're gonna cut yourself short by that. Like all oh, yeah, the dark work that you did. Now we're just on a beach, and I don't even know what the beach means. Yeah, like, we don't even know where we are exactly or what's going on, right? Because we're inside a photo, and the photo itself looks like not an actual photo, but like a composite of different images. A photo that the camera was not scared of showing us the entire movie. Yeah, to remind us how how important it was. But, like, this will be important. I feel like there is some sort of artistic separation that takes place in Barton Fink at the end, which keeps us a little protected from how devastating it could be. But... Mm. Quite frankly, at the end of A Brighter Summer Day, you are devastated. It feels so yeah. awful. The difference where, where both both endings are can be surprising, but Brighter Summer Day, if you watch it again after seeing the ending, you're like, oh, it always was going to lead here. Yeah. Like, it kind of had to. And Barton Fink, I think you could make the argument that it was like, I don't know, set the hotel on fire? Yeah, which is crazy because I did not know that it was going to end here. I don't know right. why it ended here. But I didn't see that coming. Yeah. It's like certainly both movies are going to mess with your head. Both movies are going to mess with your emotions. But ultimately, I think what we have to decide is what we want to be left with. What what kind of messages matter to us. And in that way, like, I do want to go back to Mike's thing that I made so much fun of. Of which CD from your CD case uh-huh. like, on your... like. I'm going to go back to Barton Fink, not because it's more enjoyable, but because there's more questions left unanswered. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering if I think that that's more true, like that in a poetry way, not like in a this is fun and I love to listen to it way. Yeah, mm-hmm. because they bu- there's more to chew on because there's gaps of like how reliable is the narrator at what point. Is he in hell? Where's when does reality break down? Right, which they're fucking bastards about because they like they don't, <laughs> they don't even know. They don't yeah. even care. No. They only do that so you will question it, but they don't have any answers. That's poetry. They're I mean, bastards. Not that it's horribly original, but like when you are telling a story about Hollywood, how do you like is it, is that a real place? It, like is there mm. a reality there? So like you know, is it even possible? And we talked about the Day of the Locust movie and book on the Barton Fink show of like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. You know, like this is all false. Every, like it's not just the sets everywhere you touch. It's false. And yet mm-hmm. brighter summer day, although it also features a movie studio. That is true. That does very much feel 
more grounded in a yeah. reality. And I like so it's I guess what I'm getting at here is like either you want to be protected a little bit by Barton Fink or you want to have the raw exposure to a brighter summer day. I think that's going to be the the main separating factor. All right, gentlemen. It's time to do it. We have to choose between Barton Fink and Brighter Summer Day. Ryan? I, Greg, I swear to God, I left this to the end. I didn't know what I was going to do, but it's Barton Fink. Barton Fink. Mike, agree, disagree? I will not be chanting in the back of a pickup truck because I vote for Brighter Summer Day. Which means it comes to me, which is... Always like, we are killing this as far as the I let's know. put it on Greg thing. <laughs> he, and here is how I am. I'm ultimately going to decide. There is so little daylight in between these two movies in terms of how I feel about them, how much I enjoyed them. But A Brighter Summer Day, just nobody knows this movie and nobody thinks 1991. They should know this movie. They should think 1991. I think it's a better movie than Barton Fink. But. I think Barton Fink is is known. It was referenced on The Simpsons. People will know it when we <laughs> oh, when it? we say it to them. And I think it has a little bit more rewatchable potential, which is not nothing, right? I think matters a little bit. So I'm going to go with Barton Fink, and that is going to move on to the finals to face off against the Silence of the Lambs. But before we get there, I think it's time to talk about the biggest shithead. Hola, Felterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, you could pay for ryan to draw you a picture Uh, i can write you a poem you can get the shirts off our very own backs all of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash your pop filter while you're on the internet you should check out shady monk he does all the tunes you've been listening to he's on bandcamp he's on spotify uh soundcloud wherever kids get their music these days that i'm too old to know shady monk lives there uh you can probably follow him on twitter and instagram as well that's shady monk wherever you get music Check them out. We are here with some more awards. We're going to start off with Biggest Shithead. And so to read the nominees for the award for Biggest Shithead, we're bringing in one of America's biggest sweethearts, Caitlin. Oh. Welcome to the show, Caitlin. Oh, what thank a twist. you. <laughs> now, Caitlin, um, we've been receiving a lot of emails. Mm-hmm. Is, does Biggest Shithead mean best villain? Um, I think it – I think No. Because best villain, sometimes you like the villain. Sometimes, yeah. like Gaston, like, not a shithead. Yeah. Mm. No, Gaston kind of yeah, a shithead. He is a shithead. <laughs> like, some villains are kind of shitheads, right? Yeah. Like, you know, but like Killmonger. Some people watch the movie uh, Black Panther and they're like, Killmonger, he's got a yeah. good idea. And so they he's wouldn't think. He's not a shithead. He's not, no. yeah, he's too handsome to be a shithead, probably. Yeah, you don't want to punch him. These no. are all like. Claw, in, if we're staying just in the Black Panther universe, Claw yes. is the biggest That's shithead. perfect. Yeah, perfect. And the one that we always use is Die Hard. Movie yes. of the Year winner, Die Hard. Uh, Alan Rickman is a villain. Uh, that, remember that fucking coked up, bearded idiot? That guy's the shithead. That's the shithead. That's the absolute shithead. So that, that's what we're dealing Anderson. with here. So for nominees for biggest shithead, we have first starting out, Daryl from Thelma and Luis. Up next is whoa 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 whoa. Uh, we have to talk about Daryl. What okay. is the what is the initial after it? 
Uh, M. That's Mike. Yes. All right. So this is Baby Shooter McGavin. And oh, man, did so early in his career, did he go, I'm going to be the most memorable shithead in every movie I'm in. People will never be able to forget what a shithead I am. You believe that he is this flippant and this disgusted by his own wife and just wants a mommy wife to do his chores and sit at home while he goes and fucks and parties. Now, Thelma, I told you. I don't like yeah. that dinner. I want this dinner. And like a very she, good impression. <laughs> she's trying to get him to go to work in the beginning of it. And yeah. she's like, she's like, you got to go to work. You got to work. He's like, don't holler at me. I don't holler. Also, the thing about Daryl that I will always remember is when he's screaming at the people that are working on his house. Yeah, the very beginning of the movie. And he's like, be gone by three. And he, he goes to go in his like Corvette or whatever. He eats shit so hard. <laughs> I think that must have hurt that actor. No, no. He, yeah. It was not in the script. It was he unplanned. Goes down hard. Because he's wearing dress <laughs> shoes and then walking on plywood. So there's like nothing yeah. there to give you any purchase. The other thing about Daryl to keep in mind is he spends more time in the sand, Ryan, than David Hasselhoff. Right? <laughs> I went out of oh, Did you come up with that right I now? Played out, I played 18 with this guy. I spent more time in the sand than David Hasselhoff. Right? <laughs> spent more time in the water than Jason Momoa. Right? <laughs> more time in the rough than Aladdin. Okay, continue. <laughs> oh, Daryl. Our, our next nominee for Biggest Shithead is Dr. Frederick Chilton from The Silence of the Lambs. And this is brought to you by Greg. Dude, okay. This is a perfect example of, like, you don't have to necessarily be a bad guy. This Chilton is, like, he's got everything figured out, right? And he knows how to work with these, uh, these, these like, demented people. But then also he's, like, lording it over Starling the entire time and treating her like such a – he's just a big piece of shit. I still think he, these are all based on uh, the guy who went to Ghostbusters – headquarters yes. right like william atherton guy. from who was also a shithead and diehard uh william atherton going there and like these doctors in charge of people who need the most help yeah are the worst fucking it, people and when he when he finds out that she's not fucking like interested in anything he has to say he's just like all right well good luck with the, with the psychos and then he like abandons her it for not one of the serial murderers from this movie to be on this list but this guy is you know he's a fucking shithead no, I mean, Greg made, like, a, an impassioned plea to please respect Ted Levine from Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> yeah. Yet this guy can fucking eat shit and die. There's some glimmer of hope in Buffalo Bill, but not <laughs> in Dr. Chilton. Wow. Some big shitheads here, but there's another nominee of Bruin. It's Dr. Silverman from Terminator 2, brought to you by Mike. Same thing. We, we doctors. hate doctors. Yeah, dude. We hate doctors. We don't believe in institutions <laughs> here. Uh, specifically mental health institutions is anytime an old dude is going to use his power sucks and then use it over women sucks and this guy is trying to use his power over a woman who's supposed to be in his care it's disgusting i'm gonna say that he knows that one of his nurses is routinely licking the face of one of his patients i don't know how you would he's somehow making money off of that yeah (laughs) (laughs) he's making 10 grand a lick and with that fucking blue filled syringe yeah. hits his neck i'm like yes. do Hit it, it dude kill him do it, it. Do it push it in there do it he's a shit even if it's not in the script linda do it just kill the actor <laughs> oh, all right <laughs> on to the next nominee it's shelby's ex from my girl brought to you by greg okay shelby's ex pops up near the end of the movie and it answers a one important question which is like can can shelby like she have good choice in men nope uh <laughs> This guy is such a piece of garbage. And you can tell he's one of these guys that's not tough, but his is tall. And yeah. so has like sort of gotten by 
by you know like actually if i can interrupt i'm real tired of the whole like is your boyfriend hot or is he just is he tall, tall? Yeah. <laughs> that's starting to piss me off because it, it, it's really wrecked my entire identity but ryan you're very tall so you don't yeah have anything, thank you, you don't have anything to worry about but he's just so like sleazy it's just um, like the whole huh. yeah like, oh always who you with now yeah <laughs> and let's 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 face it He's got curly hair, and yeah. you, can, you just can't trust somebody or with hair. Curly curly hair. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, our last nominee for Biggest Shithead, it's Sly from A Brighter Summer Day. Brought to you by Mike. Look, anybody named Sly is kind of a shithead, and we only have one room in, room in our heart for one yeah. decent Sly. We talked about this on the last episode, <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. Sylvester is a weird name that only it's three a- terrible people have, a cat, a boxer, and this guy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's such a like he he uses like his lieutenantism of the actual cool gang leader, and I'll use that in quotes. Uh, he's he's such a crony. He's just always so quick fake. to wherever the wind goes. Yeah, he's a fake and a phony and a crony, and I hate him. You watch and uh, you watch him act tough like three times right in the beginning of the movie, and every time he tries to act tough to somebody, that person just starts slapping him in the face. Yeah, and so he apologizes and runs away. Wow. Okay, so some big shitheads here, but who's the biggest of them all? Uh, I is there an envelope? There's an envelope, and I'm going to who are the nominees, Caitlin? Oh, the nominees again are Daryl from Thelma and Louise, Doctor Frederick Chilton from The Silence of the Lambs, Doctor Shilberman from Terminator Two, Shelley's ex from My Girl, Sly from A Brighter Summer Day. Now, Caitlin, for the first time, I'm going to be opening this envelope. Okay. Oh wow! And for the first time, I'm withdrawing the name. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and for the first time, I'm saying that it is Daryl from Thelma and Louise. Yeah. What I, a big shithead. Here's my change, <laughs> or at least my co-tie. Like, somebody should tie with Daryl. And we hate Christopher McDonald as a generation, right? Like, Shooter McGavin is No, wait, not the him. guy. Not the guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but even in Hacks, like, he's so awful. Uh, I do want to f- kind of flip it to the guy who had the truck who kept putting his tongue between his fingers. That yes! should be the winner. Dude, yeah. that should be the winner. He almost ruins the movie. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> In two ways, like in a meta way yeah. and in an in-movie way. In script, yeah. All right, well, moving off the biggest shithead. Men are the biggest shithead. <laughs> to a group of men who I'm sure are in no way shitheaded. The best actors. Caitlin, who are our nominees for the best actors? Your nominees for best actor are... Uh, not... Oh... Do you want to go over the not nominated first or just go straight into the yeah, nominated? Yeah, not nominated. Who, okay. who is not nominated? Not nominating Cuba Gooding Jr., Mike. That That is pretty surprising. This is – you can see why this was like a career-defining performance, and then it's it does feel like the rest of his career was either chasing this or letting it slip through his fingers. Uh, won an Oscar for a career-defining performance. That makes sense. So This one? I would say Jerry Maguire would be his – Oh, yeah. Well, career making, then? Not defining? I don't know. Is he good in this? Is he closer <laughs> to the Furious Styles? I'm going to take this movie seriously. Or is he closer to the, oh, is this a Hallmark movie? I have to no. say, in most of his roles, I'm like, is he killing it? Or is he act- like, <laughs> he's kind of like not taking this seriously? Even in Snow Dogs? I love even, Snow Dogs. Even in I Snow Dogs. That. Of course you would. <laughs> now, there's no rule in Snow Dogging that says that a dog can't do it. So... <laughs> Well, Cuba Gooding Jr., you got to wait till the, you know the dog's mush in the future. Uh, but actually nominating nominated for best actor, it's Chang Chen, uh, nominated by Greg. Chang Chen from Brighter Summer Day, right? Which one's Chang Chen, Ryan? Yeah, the main character. The, the main character. The guy. Oh, so four. Uh, a lo- four, which means death in which Chinese. Means, 
Yeah. We all knew that (laughs) our whole lives. Uh, And you watch this kid kind of not react to a lot of what's happening. He, I grew up with a kid like this uh, who would be completely silent and still until he had reached the point of rage and then was like violent explosion. And that's what you see a lot with him. And Mm. what you realize at the end of the movie is you've watched that draw out over the course of the entire movie as well. And he reminded me of people I had grown up with who didn't express themselves, but who felt a lot of deep rage at, at its core. I think he carried it off very well. Was this kid that he reminded you of? Was it you? Was it the person It was in the me. Mirror? It was a young Greg who wasn't in touch <laughs> with his I mean, just feelings like, yet. Just like didn't know how to talk, didn't know how to verbalize. Lisa winning Best Supporting Actress, Lisa Yang from this movie. Uh, I could see it because, yeah, it's just like you're just sitting there watching, but mm-hmm. man, are you doing so much. All right, our next nominee, it's Anthony Hopkins. Brought you back, Greg. Of course. A- Anthony Hopkins. I think all other of his roles will always be compared to this. I feel like we sometimes say about actors, like, you can tell that they're having fun and it's a negative thing. I feel like he really got himself into a good place where he mm-hmm. was being, he was hamming it up because on top of everything else that Hannibal Lecter likes to do, he likes to like ham it up a little bit, right. which is the weirdest it's, thing. It, this is why I pick Hopkins over Daniel Day Lewis is because Daniel Day Lewis picks these people who should be very stoic, and he's like, "Well, I'm Daniel." Day-Lewis. <laughs> yeah, and he Anthony, lets the mustache do a lot of the talking. Anthony Hopkins, and a lot of people don't know this, but he went method uh, with this, and so he was killing people for like six mm-hmm. months. Yeah, um, <laughs> but really the government is just too good. Yeah, he part. It's interesting because uh, Chilton wants everybody to know that Chilton is the smartest guy in the room, and he never is. Uh, Hannibal Lecter wants everybody to know he's the smartest guy in the room, but he kind of is, so we like him more for it, I guess. It's it's weird. There's so many scenes where Jodie Foster comes back to the room, and she's like, that didn't help me. And he was like, I gave you four maps. All of them wrong. I didn't give you the right map. And like, no. all right, Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> and every time she's just like, jeez. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> all right, your next nominee, it's Raul Julia. Brought to you by Mike. Oh, hell yeah. To, uh, I it's it's sad that this guy's dead. I was gonna say it's sad when anybody's dead. That's not fucking true. No. A lot of people should die. I'm fucking glad but Hitler's dead personally. It I is hope that's sad. okay with you, Mike. Rao Julia is dead. Dave Hitler, your old neighbor, he was fine. <laughs> uh but he to to totally understand and get the tone of the Adams family and just not everybody in the movie itself could not rise to his level. But the level of bombacity and big and I guess another, this guy is having fun with it, and it is not a negative at all. And everybody's capital P performing, but he is yes. doing it in the exact right way. Greg, is Gomez Adams Mike's sort of spirit animal? Like, is this the <laughs> closest <laughs> of best actor that we've ever seen? Uh, or may- Mike? Maybe. Thank you. Perhaps. He's a... Uh... He's goth and flamboyant. Overly and hairy, overly sexual. little dangerous, <laughs> you know? Always throwing swords. Uh, None of this is an insult. Have we talked about how Mike just used to own uh, gloves with the claws on them? That's some Raw Julia from <laughs> Family Shit. Oh, man. All right, our next nominee, it's Patrick Swayze. Brought to you by Mike. Yeah, so this is Bro- Bodie? Yeah. Brody. Bodie from Point Break, and just, it, it's... If you told anybody in the streets we were nominating him for Best Actor, they'd be like, all right, surfer guy. Fuck you, watch the movie again, idiots. Yeah, dude. The, the, you believe he is a cult leader, bank robber, surf guru. Like This is one of those performances can, where you're like, is this performance actually a little too good for this movie? Yeah, like, Reeves and Gary Busey and Lori Petty are in the movie that they're supposed to be in. And Patrick Swayze is like, 
No, I will elevate. This is a think no. think piece, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to make people write think pieces 25 years from now. All right, your final nominee. And also his name is Bodhi. What a fucking badass name. Fucking it's a surfer name. Okay. Bada Kanasava. <laughs> so it's like even, it's like, nobody ugly has been named Bodhi. Oh, man, and he's beautiful in this. Yeah. Like, no bad like We're talking like 2% body fat. He's, he's got, got the major like, surfer bod. Oh, I thought I cleaned all the sand off, and yet I still glisten. Like, that's oh, Bodhi in this movie. <laughs> no, it's not. All right, your last nominee it's John Turturro. Turturro. brought to you by Greg. Star of Severance. Star of the Batman. The Batman, right? Uh, the guy who told he us. He is the Batman. Wasn't the John Turturro a better surprise in the Batman than uh, Barry Kearney as the Joker? Yes, definitely. Yes. 100%. Yeah. Uh, and I- I'm thinking this guy is a potential pop filter Hall of Famer. I think so, too. Oh, yeah. he's got it written all over. Yeah. Maybe at some point. But, of, of course. When is he bad? When is he bad? And when he's bad, that's when he's his best, Ryan. Uh, he even makes I, – I like him as pieces. the Jesus, which I think a lesser actor could have made even stupider. Although in, uh, he did make a sequel to movie? Big Lebowski as the Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to see that. <laughs> <laughs> but in this, as Barton Fink, he carries it, and uh, he is very much the least likable protagonist of all time. Like yes. We see him – suffering so much and that suffering does nothing to bring us closer to the character and it's because john tuturo does such a good job of being as annoying as the fly in his own room and i'm not it, saying that go ahead mike i was gonna say it's it's that he does a good job of that but it's also he is barton fink the character is more the three of us than i've seen in any movie <laughs> we've ever covered for this show even Bodie from point break you slightly even more than Bodie from point i'm break. not gonna say that every uh filmmaker makes their protagonist them but this is the one where it is like yeah. how he can't handle being alone, but how he can't handle being around people. Woof! That is coming. Get days. you a brother who can do both. <laughs> so who are our nominees again, Caitlin? Our nominees again, not nominated again. Reminder, it's Cuba Gooden Jr. <laughs> but yeah. nominated, it's Chang Chen, Anthony Hopkins, Raul Julia, Patrick Swayze, and John Turturro. And are we cool with Anthony Hopkins being in this category? Finally? Officially? Lead? Yeah, I think. Yeah. It may, I mean, yeah, I, I think if you ask anybody walking down the street that, that he would be considered a lead, he's on the cover. Yeah, okay, there we go. He's the moth. Oh, he's opening. But who, but who will be best actor? And your winner is Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. So good thing we didn't object to it right at the yeah, end. That, that would have been, been awesome. No, you know what? This is horseshit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think what I'm learning is that we like uh, psychopaths with. The cool collectiveness <laughs> instead yeah. of that. I'm crazy. And our, yes, our last, annoying. Our last category of awards is best actress. Your nominees for best actress. It's Anna Klumski. Brought to you by Greg. Uh, for a child actor, she does an amazing job, and she's acting absolute laps around um, Macaulay Culkin, and <laughs> because which I don't think is necessarily the. Macaulay Culkin's fault. He's just the kid. The kid's kind of a turd. And uh, honestly, <laughs> at, at this point, Macaulay Culkin has a persona, which yeah. he is going back to. Like, this is Kevin McAllister in the 60s. Whereas Anna Klumski, like, you can see her newness and it's refreshing. It's not terrible. It's not like it's not like her amateur amateurness ruins the movie. It's awesome. It's got that same energy that we get out of A Brighter Summer Day, right. where it's like there's. There is a type of acting that non-actors do that can actually feel more realistic because it's like they, they don't know the moves and mm-hmm. they just sort of, they react, which I've heard is what acting is. <laughs> and 
What's awesome is so she disappeared forever and then came back and is still so fucking good. Yeah. And, and Veep is one of those shining moments. And even in that boring ass show, people like uh, one of the what is, one of the plain view girls. This is a real story. Inventing Anna. Yeah, Inventing she's very Anna. good in that. Uh, yeah, my wife really liked that show, and and she liked Anna Klumski in it. All right, your next act, uh, your next nominee for best actress is Gina Davis. Brought to you by Mike. Dude, Mike, did I, you fall I've been in love. A, yeah, I, again, because I, I uh, a League of Their Own was on all the time in my household as a kid, and I've seen her in very little else. And then seeing her in this, I'm like, again, why is she not one of the biggest actresses of all time? Well, she was in, a, uh, the she movie? Was in a moody movie, uh, Beethoven Guys. Beethoven Guys, yeah. But uh, the answer to your question, literally, Mike, is the movie Cutthroat Island. That's why she's not in. Cutthroat, what is Cutthroat Island? Is that some sort of pirate movie? Like a pirate action movie that she was the star of? Didn't it like totally, totally ruin her career? It's like a uh, big no, it, flop. T- it totally ruined a studio's career. <laughs> so that's how you get picked out. Uh, and then back to back with The Long Kiss Goodnight. Where? Yeah, which I liked oh, as yeah. a kid. The Long Kiss Goodnight rules. She turns out she I've was seen a the spy. trailer for that a bunch. And in Beetlejuice, of course, she crushes. I think she can she can do so many variations of like, oh, you think she's just like a normal housewife? And she just yeah. goes, twist, twist, twist. And it's a different twist every time she does it. She is so good. Even as, as many times we've seen her as like an action star, as secretly dangerous, she still every single time is like, well, actually, I'm just very inoffensive and nice. And you're like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, no, wait, I'm not. No. <laughs> <laughs> think about how botched this could have been when it, where it's like oh i'm so innocent you know like this could have been ruined by so many other actors yeah it's just so much dynamism in this role all right your next nominee it's jodie foster brought to you by greg yeah it's such an interesting performance because uh starling is like her name suggests sort of like a young naive bird um but she's got like i don't know if you'd say it's got like an old soul or something she's like got this understanding of the world and so even though she doesn't really know the ins and outs of things she's still like pushing herself forward and seeing that push and pull of like this young woman who is not worldly but is pursuing like the worst that the world has to offer at the same time Mm -hmm. that's a lot to do and it's exactly in Jodie Foster's wheelhouse and I'll say like as much as we talked about the directing on this movie and as much as we love Jonathan Demme the late Jonathan Demme uh Doing that scene where all of the dudes are looking at her, yeah, and she has yeah. to get into an elevator. That's that's ham fisted. Like on paper, that's right. ham fisted. But it's her face of being like, "Oh, this is weird, but it's normal. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be conflicted. Like this is awkward. I don't like it, but I'm gonna pretend to like it." That's all on Jodie Foster doing right. that. Her fucking face. Uh, one of our hashtags here, move the year, is just do two things at once. And often people can do too much, and it's the eye twitching that Ryan often talks about and hates. Jodie Foster's go-to move that I think works every time of I'm scared but I'm determined is that it's that jaw I'm clench. I'm scared but I'm determined. <laughs> she is a specific kind of clenching of the jaw that you're like, oh, fuck, I believe everything you're about to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The strongest jaw goes to Jodie Foster. But our next nominee, it's Linda Hamilton. Brought to you by Greg. Greg, yeah. do this for reals. A lot, a lot of strength here. This is not an easy part to play because in the original Terminator, um, she was just sort of like any woman, um, waitress. She was kind of like the stakes a little bit, you know. Um, In the second movie, she's like, she wanted to be broken and put back together and to be too harsh and to be not a mother and to be too hard. And she's all of those things. And you see her at once as like, 
a victim, but also as strong. You see her as someone who kind of ruins all of their plans, uh, and yet someone who is like <laughs> dependable at the same time. She, she's like that. Uh, she's like the Jubilee of the X Men. Like, oh, I'm every time we have like well made plans, I'm gonna be the one that's like, eh, I'm an idiot, and then fuck them up. And I know this probably shouldn't count too much, but she's a twin. And anytime you need to do cool shots where you have two of your main character, boom. Linda Hamilton's twin, Slim to Hamilton, is right there. <laughs> I know how twins work. <laughs> all that, right. Th- what? Are those all our nominees? No, we have two more, Greg. I love it. Okay, our next nominee <laughs> It's Angelica Houston. Nominated I'm by guessing Mike. I'm, yes. I was going to say, I'm guessing I'm going to talk about this one. Yes. When it comes to Adam's family, Mike steps up to the plate. <laughs> uh, I phenomenal actress gets morticia adams i think throughout all last episode often just talked about how fucking great she is and if raul julia is nominated for best actor angelica houston should be they are hand in hand i can man cannot imagine either without the other ones to be so uh unmoving physically but conveying so much with the eyes and the neck bracelets she won't be able to move oh man she's fucking awesome and so terribly, creepily sexy. I mean, would you guys be that surprised that Adam Sandler, being clearly the worst movie of this bracket, won Best Actor and Best Actress? No. Like, that honestly would not surprise me. Yeah, because, I mean, they had, they made such a big impression on us in a movie that we were like, ah, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, the two of them In really a movie that won deliver. Best Sex. Best Sex. For the characters but, just talking to each other. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's that these two fucking thespians didn't go, okay, we're going to do this, like, Barry Sinem, who gives a shit about this Charles Adams space comic oh, movie. They They're like, no, all. we're going to act our balls off this whole and time that's why uh gary Busey should have won for point break because that guy gave it his all the entire time that is he true. only wanted one meatball sandwich he <laughs> forced himself to eat two because <laughs> that's acting <laughs> all right and our last nominee we're gonna force this one down too it's susan saradon saranadon caitlin how yes. old are you susan saranadon the dinosaur the star susan of Dead Sarandon. <laughs> oh yes that one. Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Christ. Watch a movie. Go watch Stepmom. Well, they don't, to be fair to Caitlin, they don't mention Susan Sarandon's name in Thumb and Louise. That's true. They don't teach and they you should. Yeah, that's it. the biggest flaw with the movie is that they don't say the actual name. Aren't you Susan Sarandon? No. I mean, the, a person in this world. The inverse and also, arc of Gina Davis is Susan Sarandon, which sounds like a hot dinosaur. That's probably yeah. right up Mike's alley. That's that's the hot lady gremlin version of a dinosaur, and I'm getting it tattooed on my chest soon. Uh, she does the like the toughest nails. Then you realize she it's all an act, mm. and she's tough when she's at her diner, and her world is very small, and she pretends to be worldly, and then you cut into that vulnerability and like Sarandon really like onions up, man. It's just layer by layer. You get to know. Louise more and more and more. And the thing that I love about her is that she is, she's not a teacher. Like, if you called her that, that would be insane. Like, she would slap you in the face. But she's always teaching in order to protect people. Like, she will pull Gina Davis to the side and be like, don't ever say that again. Don't talk about that, Mm -hmm. whatever. Because I don't want what happened to me to happen to you. That is how she always is. But we never get the full explanation. We only get what Sarandon uh, gives us. All right, remind us of our nominees again, Caitlin. All right, our nominees for Best Actress are Anna Klumski, Gina Davis, Jodie Foster, Linda Hamilton, Angelica Houston, and Susan Sarandon. Is this the best group that we've ever had for Moody? It's a it's a killer fucking group. Very, very strong. Here we go. Our last award of the night, Best Actress. 
So Who exciting. will it be? Who will it be now? I vote for the dinosaur. It is Jodie Foster. Woo! We went chalk. We did Oscars. <laughs> we did Hopkins and Foster. <laughs> Foskins. But you know what? She <laughs> deserved it. That it's a, it's a major role. She played yeah. it perfectly. It's not easy to do. It was like a, an unusual space to occupy in the story. She did a perfect job. Caitlin, thank you for reading all those nominees. Congratulations to all the winners, even the shitheads out there. When we come back, we pick 1991's Movie of the Year. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to Pop Filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie, everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show. That's Movie of the Year. And that's YourPopFilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review. Bye! All right, so here we are at the end of everything. Number one seed, The Silence of the Lambs, versus number 10 seed, Barton Fink. By the time we finish this conversation... We will have 1991's movie of the year. Now, Mike, if we did it simply by name recognition, Silence of the Lambs would run away with this one, correct? Uh, Simpsons never chanted Silence of the Lambs because that's harder to chant, Greg. So I don't know if that's accurate. What about Science of Lamb? Science, science of, of Lamb. Lamb science. Uh, I think most people, because they don't go back and rewatch, would be like, Silence of the Lambs, I mean won the Oscars, so it's probably not good, and it's a horror movie, so no? And they're fucking fools. I mean, isn't well, that the double said, whammy of terribleness? Horror yes. movie, Oscar winner, fuck you forever. I will never watch you. What garbage. And it's not garbage at all. You're garbage. I mean, it has our- Straw man we've created. Best Wait, actor, wh- best actress, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, the big five, as they're known. It won the big five of picture, actor, actress, screenplay, director. That's pretty good. Only three movies have ever done that. But more importantly, it won our Moody's for those, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, a lot of them, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that, that's got to mean something. It's Didn't win Best Sex because that cum thrown at her face just couldn't quite get it there. Man, for the I could not move that down to the bottom of the ballot fast enough. Yeah, <laughs> Greg, this is why it sucks to have you on the show. <laughs> that was the best sex of the year. Uh, both movies are really off-putting. Both yes. movies managed like a good movie should to be. be funny and entertaining. In a way, is this the perfect, Ryan, the perfect matchup at the end, do you think? I think so because I think that they're two of the most iconic. If they're not iconic enough, they should be more. Although, I don't know. Two if of the most iconic was. posters. Um, but, I, yeah, what I'm thinking about right now is what is the most accessible and how much does that matter? Yeah, mo- I mean, to me, most ex- most accessible would be Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Um, but uh, not to be this guy, but like that isn't necessarily 
a vote in favor of Silence of the Lambs because I think when a movie gives you a little less, you lean in a little bit more, and that leaning in makes you part of makes you feel a little bit more part of it. And I think that might be an advantage Barton Fink has, right? Like, is there anything when you get to the end of Silence of the Lambs? Is there anything where you're like, huh? I gotta chew on that a little bit. I gotta really like. Yeah, for sure. I I totally I totally think so. I think that like the the queer lens and the female lead is there's so much to deal with there in 91 if we were talking about this in 91 and then now like the troubling things that this movie does about uh sexuality and then mm-hmm. also the that like are sort of like weird but we don't want to talk about them because they're old but also the sort of progressive things at the same time like sounds of the lambs is like i don't know i think it's sort of it yeah, I, I think it seems very surface level, one and done, because you're like, well, I understood the story, which means I understood <laughs> the movie. Versus Barton Fink, you're like, what happened? I guess I got to think about it. But but you can peel Science Lambs apart still. And like Ryan said, it's just w- what literary lens do you want to throw on there? And, Mike- and a lot of our movies could not. You couldn't be like, hey, Adam's family, we're going to throw queer theory on you right now. And then Hammer would be like, "All right, I'll write a rap about you it." You could one hundred percent do. Probably, a I probably chose the wrong yeah. one. You probably <laughs> could do queer theory on Adam's family. I'm sure this movie's been really important to queer people. Um, but neither one of these is something you'd want to sit down and pop on just as pure entertainment. Disagree. Would Would you say uh, Signs I, of the Lambs? Counts both as- of them, I think, are spectacular. Throw on and watch. Even Barton in, in, Fink, really? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think so. In, it's in, so I think I've funny, mentioned this. and it's so John Goodman-y. Like, I agree with John that. Goodman yeah. won Best Supporting Actor. Justin Turo, I bet, almost won Best Actor. Like, watching those two together, it's almost like the invention of podcasting. I think there's a way. <laughs> One guy wants to talk but can't. <laughs> I think there's a quality of off-puttingness that Barton Fink is going for, and it achieves, and that it might actually effectively be off-putting for folks. I think it's kind of delightful, even though it shouldn't be, because they're, like, drinking liquor that they shouldn't be drinking and then looking at, like, nudie pictures that they shouldn't be looking at. But then also the wallpaper starts coming off because the building is alive. That's the I, part that's awful Yeah, to I think that, that, like... Yeah, that's that's awful and disgusting. But And then it's not just those two, right? It's it's John Mahoney and Tony Shalhoub, like, people coming in here and just be like, I'm going to do big Hollywood caricatures, right. but it works. And then the uh, the... I thought he was going to be nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I can't remember his name, but the uh, the head of the studio who then decides to like join the war effort yes. at the end. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, he has his own like general's attire made up strange. by the prop department. And so it gets it's, it gets you to the point where like I don't know who's going to appear in the next scene, man. I don't know when fire is going <laughs> to happen. Like, what the fuck is this movie? In all of the best ways. Well, I think it's time to do it, Ryan. You've said extremely positive things about both these movies leading me not to know what you're going to say here but what is to you 1991's movie of the year is it Silence of the Lambs or Barton Fink it's Silence of the Lambs Silence of the Lambs with one vote Mike earlier Ryan uh, described Barton Fink as a poem which I think is pretty apt and if Barton Fink is a poem Silence of the Lambs is like a really gripping novel and so which it's not just which literary one but I think poems can be either be indecipherable so you're like, fuck this, or like, I don't understand it, so I'm going to say it's amazing and flawless. <laughs> I think this novel is tighter than this poem. It's Silence of the Lambs for me. Oh, there you go. Your 1991 movie, your number one seed featuring your moody winning best actor and best actress 
Silence of the Lambs is your 1991 movie of the year. Wait, Dorks. Greg, did you? Would you have picked Barton Fink? I had not decided yet. I was going to see if it came to me. <laughs> these were these were my like they they were two of my top three movies overall. I think I was probably going to say Silence of the Lambs because it's called movie of the year, not just because it's like the best movie that came out that year, but because it symbolizes that year because it's timeless while still being 91, right? It has all those things. I think there are a lot of ways in which it is the superior choice to Barton Fink. I just found Barton Fink on a lot of levels more exciting, but that doesn't mean that, you know, it is the movie of the year. Silence of Lambs is almost perfect. I keep thinking as we were talking about it, how when the movie starts off, you're like, well, this serial killer is in prison and this other one is out free. And when the movie's over, that the the serial killer that was out free is dead, and the one who's in prison is has escaped, and that is such a good move that the movie makes, and is very exciting and emblematic of how it makes all the right choices, and that's the kind of thing that made it 1991's movie of the year. So now that the dust has settled, gentlemen, do we feel like we did it? I I, I feel like there is a click here. I feel like is we this, is this the first time that we've been in lockstep with the Oscars? Yes. And part of me feels like punk rock and shitty about that, but it is, it's, hard. they got it right once yeah. in 1991. If I said to you, I know this isn't what it is, but if I said to you, which is the better movie? Which is the better movie? Uh, Ryan. The one that won, Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs. Okay. Okay. That's fair. I think there are more, there are more cracks in. Yeah. Uh, I think in the wallpaper like, peels off a little bit more in Barton Fink. It's a little gooey. <laughs> in the Ryan list of greatest movies of all time, I do think that Silence of the Lambs would be higher. Yeah, I I kind of I kind of think that if we had gone the other way and we had said Barton Fink, I don't think it would have felt good. Right. I think it would have felt like I think like it would have been like Mike is talking about punk rock. We tried the to Oscars. do the punk yeah. rock thing and we tried to thumb our nose at the establishment, and so ultimately we made the wrong choice because we're not smart enough to just make our own right. choice. But fuck it, dude. Let's give Anthony, Jody, and the film best of the year. And if I said to you, let's watch Science Lambs right now. I'm so down. Nobody disagrees. Now we all chant. Right? Yeah. Science Lambs. Science Lambs. <laughs> Caitlin, have you ever seen it before? No. Uh, you right. should watch it. It's yeah. full of stuff you'd love. Well, I guess we're turning it on right after this, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That is 1991's movie of the year. Caitlin, thank you for coming in and helping us out. I do want to ask Caitlin a question real quick. Okay. Caitlin, have you ever seen Blade Runner? Yes. Have you ever seen John Carpenter's The Thing? No. Have you ever have you ever seen E.T.? Yes. Have you ever seen Poltergeist? No. Have you ever seen Tootsie? No. Dustin Hoffman, dressed as a woman. No. No, never. Have you ever seen Rambo: First Blood? Uh, no. But I've been in the room while someone was watching it. Have you ever <laughs> seen The King of Comedy? No. Have you ever seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High? Nope. Greg, we have to do something about this. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Caitlin, would you like to join us on our 1982 season? Woo! A movie of the year. Ten years before I was born? <laughs> Sounds what? like... Not cool. <laughs> not cool. Not cool. <laughs> oh, man. I hope Fast Times doesn't make... I don't... Caitlin shouldn't have to see Fast Times. <laughs> I'm honestly That'll not worried her about... first sex scene. I'm not worried about Poltergeist. <laughs> it's just... It's such a distasteful movie. I'm worried about its distaste. There's a guy named Ratface who just acts like a rat person the entire time. There is a guy who gets a pizza delivered to his class, and if one of my students did that, <laughs> I would be like, this is pretty cool, actually. Smoke me out, oh, I got bro. screamed at for doing that. <laughs> well, that's what you have coming to you, fans, for our 1982 season, which is the next one we're going to do. It'll be just a little bit, so there's going to be a little time there. You know what you can do with that time? Keep watching them movies. <laughs>